1: And away we go, episode 168 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 18th, 2021, the day after another ugly loss for the Washington football team. A terrible week ended in a terrible way. A 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. Washington now 2-4 on the season, with, by the way, a point differential of minus 50, third worst in the NFC. These have not necessarily been a bunch of close losses. Uh, There have been plenty of losses by 10 or more points, and we had another one on Sunday afternoon. Uh, The game, yeah, was close at the half. That's true. Uh, Washington, in fact, led at the half 13-10, but Washington then lost the second half 21-0. So much to cover, so much to say. I'll be getting into everything over the course of the show. Next segment, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the game. You'll hear the key items from Ron Rivera's post-game press conference. I have plenty of thoughts on the game for you beyond the front five, including the latest off the mess. That was the retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21. Do we have a better idea now of why exactly the team inexplicably did not announce that Sean's number 21 was being retired on Sunday until last Thursday morning. We kind of, sort of do. I'll explain, but there's still a lot here that just does not make much sense. Uh, I will talk college football, specifically Virginia Tech's 28-7 homecoming loss to Pitt on Saturday. Is it time for Tech to fire head coach Justin Fuente? Uh, Also, Virginia, a 48-0 homecoming smashing of Duke. On Saturday afternoon, you see, not every team's homecoming game went poorly. The Washington Football Team's homecoming game went poorly. Virginia Tech's homecoming game went poorly, uh, but Virginia's homecoming game did not go poorly. I'll give you a Capital segment as well—a 2-1 overtime loss to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning at Capital One Arena on Saturday night, as VTech Vanacek was the Cap starting goaltender again and was quite good again, also good again. Was Alex Ovechkin. Friendly reminder: uh, when you have 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give this podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that, and please write just like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Those things help out a lot. You can hit pause on your iPhone or iPad right now and do those things, and I very much appreciate you doing those things. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me the AlGaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Why must it be this way? I don't know. Someday, maybe we'll all know. But in the meantime, we are here for each other. Uh, Lots of feedback, as you might expect, of the Washington football team's loss to the Chiefs. Email from Dr. Muhammad writes the good doctor. Another week, the same old BS. Honestly, had hope restored in the franchise last year based on all the feel-good stories and integrity brought by Ron Rivera. Now I feel all of this has been undone Alex Smith's offseason repudiation of the coaching staff, defensive regression, Ron Rivera's lack of control over the defense's discipline, Brucifer's emails, former cheerleaders' topless picks being disgustingly peddled to NFL coaches, and then the stars of the defense being remembered more for family feud and taping up their grill like the great Sean Taylor instead of game changing plays. The team is back to the dysfunction, capped off with the bungling of Sean Taylor's number retirement, coupled with the shine wearing off of Heineke. The most troublesome part about the whole thing is Jason hole didn't think you guys would care about the retirement line. Seriously, isn't he talking to people during the name change process and getting his finger on the pulse of the fan base? Do you think that Sean Taylor never came up during those discussions? Friggin' unbelievable. He is just a shill at this point and no different than any previous politician execs in D.C. saying all of the right things, but not meaning any of it. Wow. Harsh words from Dr. Muhammad. I will be addressing that Jason Wright line and more a little bit later on in the show. Email from Marlon Gutierrez writes Marlon, what a disgrace of a showing for honoring Sean Taylor and then just poor tackling. Heineke had chances to run and just stayed in the pocket to overthrow receivers. My opinion, when Heineke tries to play it safe, that's when he seems to make his mistakes. Well, Marlon, I hope you caught my chat with Taylor Heineke's collegiate head coach, the former Old Dominion head coach, Bobby Wilder, who joined me a few weeks ago, episode 160. And one of the things that coach Wilder revealed to us in our conversation with him was that Taylor Heineke got a talking to about his scrambling and about needing to stay healthy. And if you listen between the lines of some of these recent Taylor Heineke post-practice Wednesday press conferences, it's very clear he has been told, you don't run unless you absolutely have to run. And I think we're seeing that here with Taylor Heineke. He is not running with nearly the frequency that we saw him run with, uh, say, going back to the playoff loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last January in the wildcard round, or even in some games earlier this season. You know, he's not a statue in the pocket, that's for sure. But, I mean, he had zero official rush attempts in this loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Email from Rob writes Rob, there is a bright spot in our latest debacle. We are only two games out of first place. Parentheses for the number one pick in the draft. Uh, I'm resigned to our only season being the off season. It's the only time that brings us joy. Uh, yes, sadly, we as Washington football team fans are at our happiest, say, March through June, you know, that four month period March, April, May, June. We've got that four month period down, Pat. We just can't get this current, ongoing four month period down, Pat. September through December. And unfortunately, in the NFL, September through December matters a little more than March. Through June, Why can't this current four-month period of September through December consistently go like that other four-month period of March through June consistently goes for us as Washington football team fans? We would be so much better off if that was the case. Well, someone who can make things go well for you if you need or want to sell your home is John Grandland of Real Broker. Nobody will do a better job of selling your home and nobody will adapt to your situation better than John G. will. And that's because he offers commission flex. Don't get sucked into paying a real estate agent 6%, 7%, 8% commission. The days of some flat commission rate, regardless of how easy it is to sell your home, are over. John G. is changing the game with commission flex which is like Ron Rivera's favorite thing, position flex, although John's commission flex is working much better than Ron's position flex is these days.
2: Position flex.
1: Yes, Ron, position flex. Uh, What is commission flex, you ask? Well, it's simple flexible commission rates. You see, not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense if your house is going to sell in six minutes. Don't pay 6%. John Grandlin will put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Grandlin offers a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. for free zero commission. Some conditions do apply, but interviewing John Granlin is an absolute no brainer. He can come by your house, give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. This is a phone call that could make and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. You have nothing to lose. Call John G now seven zero three. When you talk to John G, make sure that you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure that you ask John G about what you keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast. Commission flex. That phone number again, 703-537-6747, or visit johngsellsforfree.com. That's johngsellsforfree.com. John Granlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the originator of commission flex.
2: Position flex.
1: Yes, Ron, just like position flex. All right, no time to waste. Time now for the front five. My five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling to two and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Washington's passing game was abysmal. Uh, In a game in which Washington needed to put up points, you knew that Washington needed to score a bunch of points. Washington's passing game was not close to being good enough. And notice I'm saying passing game. I'm not just saying Taylor Heineke because this isn't all about Taylor Heineke, although this starts with Taylor Heineke. And Heineke was bad for a second consecutive game and for the third time in four games. The shine is coming off Taylor Heineke. The shine is coming off old Tay-Tay, and it doesn't mean that the shine cannot be restored. But at least right now, Taylor Heineke is not playing like we know he can play, like we have seen him play. It may well be that we're just seeing him regress to what he is, which is a backup quarterback in the NFL. And look, there's no shame if that's the case. But the notion of Taylor Heineke being a legitimate NFL starting quarterback has taken some hits these last few weeks. There's no question About that. Each game is a data point, and these last few data points have not been great. So, Heineke in this loss to the Chiefs went 24 of 39 for just 182 yards, 39 pass attempts totaling just 182 passing yards. That works out to a mere 4.67 yards per pass attempt. Uh, He had a touchdown pass, he had an interception, he was not sacked at all, and he had no official carries. Uh, Heineke in the second half had three completions for negative yardage, including two third quarter completions that each went for minus four yards. Now, all on him? No, not necessarily. But your passing game has got to be more productive than that. I mean, one of the telltale signs of how good a passing game is in a game is that yards per pass attempt stat. That's why I often cited it that Heinecke's yards per pass attempt in this game was less than five. That is tough, okay? It is difficult to beat any team operating that way in the passing game, especially a team as explosive as the Chiefs and Heinecke quarterback to Washington offense that failed to capitalize on three second quarter takeaways. I mean, think about that as uh, shaky as Washington's defense was, and we'll get to Washington's defense. The defense did generate three second quarter takeaways And Washington was only able to produce seven points off those three takeaways. Specific to Taylor Heineke, he was again inaccurate on too many pass attempts. Uh, Washington's first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in a first quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke overthrew Terry McLaurin on a third and six shotgun Deep incompletion. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 50 yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7 3. The 10th snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke threw way high on a first and 15 shotgun play action incompletion intended for J.D. McKissick. Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive resulted in Antonio Gibson's second quarter loss fumble. The first snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke way off on a first and 10 shotgun play action and completion intended for Adam Humphreys. Now, Heineke did take a shot on the play, took a hit from edge rusher Damone Harris, but still the pass was off. Uh, Washington's 11th offensive drive, second snap of that drive, on a second and three for Washington at its 32. A Taylor Heineke's shotgun pass got intercepted by defensive tackle Tershawn Wharton, who, while being blocked by Cornelius Lucas and Wes Schweitzer, leapt into the air and made the pick. That was a very impressive play by Wharton, especially considering he was being blocked by two guys in Lucas and Schweitzer. Why is it that our defensive linemen never do things like that or rarely do things like that? Jump up and deflect passes, jump up and intercept passes. Well, Wharton did that there, you know, but with Heineke on a play like that, you gotta find a throwing lane. And Heineke was unable to do that. So, yeah, he was inaccurate again. Uh, we're seeing too much of this inaccuracy from Heineke in recent games. But Heineke also was failed way too often by his pass catchers, who by my count had five drops slash catches that could have been made, but weren't. You know, how you define a drop is a subjective thing. There are some people say if the target can get a hand or hands on the football and doesn't make the catch, that's a drop. There are other people who are like, well, if the pass isn't picture perfect, then you can't call that a drop. However you wanted to find a drop is on you, but to me, I had five plays in this game that were either basic drops or at least catches that could have been made but weren't. You go back to that first Washington offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. The first snap of that drive, De'Ami Brown, a drop on a Taylor Heineke first and 10 under center play action incompletion. completion. Washington's second offensive drive resulted in the Dustin Hopkins first quarter 50-yard field goal. The 12th snap of the drive, the snap right before the field goal, De'Ami Brown failed to make the catch of what I thought was a catchable 50-50 ball from Taylor Heineke on a third and nine deep shotgun incompletion. Washington's sixth offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's touchdown pass, the late second quarter, second and three 39 yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Ricky Seals Jones. We had two drops on this drive. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a drop on a Taylor Heineke. First and 10 shotgun play action and completion of Heineke taking a shot from edge rusher Alex Okafer. So Heineke hangs in there tough, takes the hit, and then Gibson drops the football. And then the sixth snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin, who like never drops passes, he was guilty of a drop. A drop on a Taylor Heineke. Second and 16 shotgun incompletion. And then later in the game with McLaurin, Washington's 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt. The second snap of that drive, Terry McLaurin unable to make the catch on what I thought was, again, a catchable 50-50 ball on a Taylor Heineke first and 10 shotgun play action deep in completion. You know, there was a lot of talk in the offseason, from Ron Rivera especially, of, you know, you have a quarterback who can just kind of put balls in the hands of playmakers and not make too many mistakes, and others around the quarterback rise up and kind of help the quarterback along. It doesn't just have to be the quarterback doing things. Well, the defense has failed in that regard this season in terms of leading the way, and in this game, and in some other games too, Washington's pass catchers have not done enough. Now, in Washington's wins, we have seen Washington's pass catchers rise to the occasion. The Week 2 win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football, the Week 4 win at the Atlanta Falcons, Washington pass catchers made plays in those games. But in these losses, you see too many drops, you see catchable footballs that aren't caught, and you certainly saw that in this loss. To the Chiefs, Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Taylor Heineke's performance, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Washington football team insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post.
2: I thought Taylor had his opportunities to make some plays, and he did, uh, and, and and he missed some. You know, it's, it'll be one of those things we get a chance to really take a good look at the tape, and you know, see where uh, you know where he can continue to grow and get better at. He seemed pretty conservative. Was that maybe more the game plan, or was that more just taking what was given? Well, it was trying to take what was being given more than anything else. I mean, again, the the game plan just calls for you to go through your progression. And, you know, like I said, we'll take a look. We'll see maybe did he go through some of them too quick or did he stay on one guy too long? You know, those are things that, again, he's going to continue to learn and get better with.
1: Yeah, this was a bad game. For Washington's offense, especially Washington's passing game, and especially considering who Washington was facing. The Chiefs through week five were dead last in the NFL in total defense per football outsiders DVOA metric, were number 31 out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense per DVOA, and the Chiefs were missing two key defensive players due to injury in this game in edge rusher Chris Jones and corner. Charverius Ward, And speaking of injury, uh, you do wonder if this was the game in which Washington's injuries on offense really caught up with the team. You know, Washington is that ultra deep on offense to begin with. And you think about where things are right now with Washington offensively from an injury standpoint. Logan Thomas is on the reserve injured list due to a hamstring injury. Curtis Samuel was inactive for this game due to his nagging groin injury. Cam Sims was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a hamstring injury. Samuel Cosme was inactive for this game due to an ankle injury. Brandon Sheriff was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a knee injury. Antonio Gibson, who was listed as questionable for this game due to a shin ailment, which, remember, is a stress fracture. Gibson revealed that on October 8th in a post-practice press conference. Well, he aggravated the shin injury early in the second quarter and ended up being limited in this game. Washington, even with all of these guys healthy, isn't great offensively. Washington, without these guys, had real problems in this game. And I'm not saying this to make you feel sorry for Washington. I'm just stating this as a fact here. Like Washington is dealing with a lot of injuries right now on offense. And an offense that wasn't great to begin with, being depleted like this, uh, you're going to have some problems. And we saw some of those problems on display in this loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Well, if you are having problems with your skin, uh, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast, and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis, and comprehensive care. And specific To skin cancer treatment, the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offers something very special and cutting edge superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary, it's a non surgical skin cancer treatment. That's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and a downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT unlike many other dermatology practices in the area. And SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. Or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer Across the Mid-Atlantic region, it's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from Washington falling to two and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense was bad again. So this is now six for six. Six games this season, Washington's defense has been bad to some extent in each of those six games. Washington, six games into the season, has yet to have had a game in which the defense truly played well. That really is amazing. Like, Because it would be bad enough if, say, in four of the six games, Washington's defense had been bad to some extent. No, this is in all six of the games. You have not had a single game yet in which you can truly say that Washington's defense was good. And this game was bad, really bad, even with some good things that happened in the first half. Washington ended up being shredded by Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes finished 32 of 47 for 397 yards. Going back to yards per pass attempt, that's 8.45 yards per pass attempt. He had two touchdown passes versus two interceptions. He was sacked three times. He had three carries. For 31 yards. Two drives stand out to me in particular, just in terms of Patrick Mahomes and what he did on the drives. Like there were plenty of other drives beyond these two drives that jump out but specific to Mahomes and what he was able to do. So the Chiefs' first offensive drive, 10 plays, 95 yards, resulted in running back Darrell Williams' first quarter, first and goal, two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run, ensuing extra point, gave the Chiefs a 7-0 lead. Washington allowed Patrick Mahomes on this drive to go 5 of 6 for 81 yards. This was another first offensive drive for a Washington opponent this season in which the opponent scored a touchdown. Mahomes on this drive, 5 of 6 for 81 yards. He had completions of 27, 20, and 19 yards. Washington blew a chance at a takeaway on this drive as on the fourth snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller dropped an interception on a Patrick Mahomes first and 10 shotgun play action in completion intended for receiver Tyreek Hill, who fell down and who had trouble with his footing multiple times on Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field. Also, the Chiefs' sixth offensive drive resulted in Bobby McCain's late second quarter interception. But on this drive, which started at the Chiefs' eight, Washington allowed Patrick Mahomes to go three of three for 63 yards. Over the first three snaps of the drive, the sixth snap of the drive and the snap right before the interception, Landon Collins faked out of his cleats in missing on an attempted tackle on tight end Travis Kelsey on a Patrick Mahomes second and 15, 14 yard shotgun completion to Kelsey. So you start with the great Patrick Mahomes and what he did against this Washington defense. Then you move to third down defense. Washington's third down defense was atrocious in this game. Yeah, we're back to having this conversation. Washington's defense being a special kind of bad on third downs. Washington in this game ended up allowing the Chiefs to go 11 of 17 on third downs. Washington is dead last in the NFL by miles in third down defense this season. Washington's opponents on the season now are 52 for 90 on third downs this season. 57.8%. In this game, Chiefs' eighth offensive drive, 10 plays, 68 yards, resulted in Patrick Mahomes' third quarter, second and goal, two-yard shotgun play action, touchdown pass to receiver Tyree Kill. The ensuing extra point gave the Chiefs a 17-13 lead. How about the penalties by Washington on third downs on this drive? Eight snap of the drive, Montez Sweat, a killer third and 10 five-yard offside penalty. Then on the next nap, Chase Young committed a third-and-five-five-yard offside penalty that was declined. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes had a third-and-five-13-yard shotgun completion to receiver Tyree Hill on a jump pass. The Chiefs' ninth offensive drive resulted in running back Darrell Williams's early fourth quarter, first and goal, three-yard, I formation, handoff, touchdown run, ensuing extra point, gave the Chiefs a 24-13 lead. Seven snap of the drive, the second snap of the fourth quarter, Patrick Mahomes, a third and six, 11-yard shotgun completion to tight end Travis Kelsey on a shovel pass on a broken play on a vintage Patrick Mahomes play. Mahomes got loose in the second half and he was able to do his Patrick Mahomes type stuff. Uh, here was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on the difference between Washington's defense in the first half versus Washington's defense in the second half.
2: Well, what changed the second half was the quarterback's ability to get outside the pocket and make something happen. You know, uh, he scrambled a few times. Uh, a couple of times he scrambled and threw the ball downfield and made something out of it. So, you know, yeah, it did. I mean, we were able to contain him and keep him bottled up the first half and the second half. Uh, You know, unfortunately, he got out.
1: Yes, he did. Uh, Chiefs' 10th offensive drive, 15 plays, 96 yards, resulted in Patrick Mahomes' fourth quarter, third and five, 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Demarcus Robinson, who beat William Jackson III, despite him being guilty of an illegal use of hands penalty. Ensuing extra point gave the Chiefs a 31-13 lead. So that touchdown play right there, another third down fail by Washington. But there were plenty of other third down fails on this drive by Washington's defense. Third snap of the drive, Washington gave up a Patrick Mahomes third and four 10-yard shotgun scramble. Sixth snap of the drive, Washington gave up a Patrick Mahomes third and five 21-yard shotgun completion to receiver Byron Pringle. The 10th snap of the drive, Washington gave up a Patrick Mahomes, third and five, six-yard shotgun completion to receiver Tyree Kill. 13th snap of the drive, Washington gave up a Patrick Mahomes, third and eight, 12-yard shotgun completion to receiver Demarcus Robinson, who was wide open. It was one third-down conversion after another by the Chiefs on that drive, and even on a drive that resulted in a punt. She's fourth offensive drive resulted in a second-quarter punt. Third snap of that drive, Washington gave up a Patrick Mahomes third and seven, 17-yard shotgun scramble. So Washington carved up by Patrick Mahomes. Washington terrible again on third downs. And then there's William Jackson the third, and I want to spend a few minutes talking about old WJ3 because I thought that he was atrocious in this game. He has not been good this season, but he was especially bad in this game. One negative moment after another. Remember, William Jackson III was signed by Washington this past March to a three-year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in guaranteed money. And I was in favor of the signing, okay? I'm not going to be a phony about this. But no Washington free agent signing this past offseason featured more money in the contract than Washington signing of William Jackson III. And so far, he has not come close to living up to that contract. The Chiefs' eighth offensive drive, 10 plays, 68 yards, resulted in Patrick Mahomes' third quarter, second and goal, two-yard shotgun play-action touchdown pass to receiver Tyreek Kill. First snap of the drive, William Jackson III and Cole Holcomb missed on tackles on a Patrick Mahomes' first and 10, 13-yard under center play-action boot completion to running back Daryl Williams. The Chiefs ninth offensive drive resulted in Williams's early fourth quarter first and goal three yard I formation handoff touchdown run. Second snap of the drive, William Jackson the third failing on an attempted tackle on a Patrick Mahomes first and 10, nine yard shotgun play action completion to receiver Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs tenth offensive drive, 15 plays, 96 yards resulted in the lowest of the low points for William Jackson the third in this game, him getting beat by receiver Demarcus Robinson on the Patrick Mahomes fourth quarter, third and five, 24-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Robinson. And Robinson made the play despite Jackson having been guilty of an illegal use of hands penalty. The Chiefs' second offensive drive. This did result in the Kendall Fuller interception on the first snap of the second quarter. But the third snap of the drive, William Jackson the third got beat by receiver Mecole Hardman, and then missed on an attempted tackle on what ended up being a Patrick Mahomes third and four, 49-yard shotgun completion to Hardman. Jackson got beat in this game. Jackson's tackling was really bad in this game. It wasn't just Jackson who struggled from a tackling standpoint in this game. Uh, Also, on that drive that I just referenced, six snap of the drive, final snap of the first quarter, Kendall Fuller and Jamin Davis failed on attempted tackles on a Patrick Mahomes third and four, five yard shotgun completion to running back Jarek McKinnon. So it's not all on William Jackson, the third, but he's the biggest money man in Washington's secondary. And Jackson has not been good so far this season. You know, you think about Washington's offseason. The three biggest free agent signings by Washington this past offseason have all been whiffs so far this year William Jackson III, Curtis Samuel, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And in the cases of Samuel and Fitzpatrick, obviously it's more about injury than it is ineffectiveness. In the case of Jackson, though, it's really about ineffectiveness. He just has not been very good. And it's funny with this Washington defense because it did generate. Three second quarter takeaways on Sunday. You know, the defense did pressure Patrick Mahomes. Washington finished with three sacks and 10 quarterback hits. But in no way can you say That the defense played well. I mean, the Chiefs had 499 total net yards of offense. The Chiefs went 11 of 17 on third downs. Enough said, the defense for Washington did not play well on Sunday afternoon. Six for six in each game so far this year, the Washington football team defense has been bad to some degree. And it's frustrating with this defense because you think about this defense, right? Washington has spent a first round pick on a defensive player in each of the last five NFL drafts, right? I mean, it really is something, but it's true. 2017, Jonathan Allen. 2018, Deron Payne. 2019, Montez Sweat. 2020, Chase Young. 2021, Jamin Davis. Washington has spent a first-round pick on a defensive player in each of the last five NFL drafts, and yet still, the defense is bad. Washington has spent significant free agent money on defensive backs and free agency over the last three off seasons. Landon Collins in 2019, Kendall Fuller in 2020, William Jackson III in 2021. And yet still, Washington's defense is bad. Washington has two accomplished defensive coaches in head coach Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. And yet still, Washington's defense is bad. It drives you nuts makes you wish that you could take legal action for the harm being caused to you as a Washington football fan. Well, a law firm that is ready to represent you if you have been wronged, not so much as a football fan, but elsewhere in life, is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and five- for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. trial lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. trial lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people and smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel As if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure— Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you are obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. It's the front five, my five biggest takeaways from Washington falling to two and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number three, health and ball security now are even bigger concerns for Antonio Gibson. Uh, So Antonio Gibson was listed as questionable for this game due to this shin ailment that he's dealing with. And remember, with this shin ailment, uh, it is a stress fracture. Gibson revealed that to us on October 8th in a post-practice press conference. Well, Gibson in this game against the Chiefs aggravated the shin injury early in the second quarter, ended up being limited in terms of playing time in the game. Uh, the snap counts are not yet out as of the taping of this podcast, but the snap counts should be out early Monday morning. Uh, but Gibson in this game finished with 10 carries for 44 yards, but he also had a loss fumble. Uh, finished with two receptions for zero yards on three targets, including a drop. Uh, Washington's fifth offensive drive, third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a lost fumble on a first and 10, one-yard shotgun handoff run. The ball was recovered at the Washington 34. Now, what's ironic about that play is that the snap right before that was Gibson's best run of the game, a second and 10, 15-yard under center handoff run. But here we are now, another big lost fumble by Antonio Gibson in a Washington loss this season, 2016 loss, To the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. Gibson, a lost fumble on a first and 10 under center handoff run for no gain, giving the Chargers a first and goal at the three, with Washington nursing a 16 13 fourth quarter lead. You know, kind of gets forgotten. Washington was up by three in the fourth quarter of that game against the Chargers. Gibson commits a lost fumble. Ensuing Chargers offensive drive results in Justin Herbert's fourth quarter third and goal three yard shotgun touchdown pass. to receiver Mike Williams. Ensuing extra point gives the Chargers a 2016 lead, and that ends up being the final score of the game. So Gibson has another lost fumble in this game against the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. He does have some good moments, like I mentioned, that 15-yard run. Uh, Washington's second offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 50-yard field goal. First snap of that drive, Antonio Gibson had a first and 10, 8-yard under center handoff run. Two snaps later, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, 3-yard shotgun handoff run. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in Dustin Hopkins' second quarter 43 43- yard field goal. Fifth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one, two-yard shotgun handoff run. But you also had the drop by Antonio Gibson. Uh, the drop came on Washington's sixth offensive drive, which did result in the Taylor Heineke late second quarter, second and three, 39-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Ricky Seals-Jones. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a drop on a Taylor Heineke first and 10 shotgun play action and completion. So with Gibson. A, the shin thing is not going away. B, now you really have to start to wonder about these lost fumbles. Again, two costly ones in Washington losses this season. And C, Gibson has had a bit of a problem with drops. Uh, That drop that he had on Sunday, not the first drop that he's had this season. You know, I'm like a lot of people. I want to see Antonio Gibson, the former combo running back receiver at Memphis, be more of a force in the Washington football team's passing attack. But he's got to earn that. He's got to earn that with his pass protection. And he's got to earn that with catching the football. And Antonio Gibson has been guilty of too many drops so far this season. So injury concern and ball security concern for Antonio Gibson right now. Takeaway number four, J.D. McKissick was Washington's offensive MVP. We finally arrive at a positive in the front five. Uh, I love what we saw from J.D. McKissick in the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. McKissick had eight carries for 45 yards and eight receptions for 65 yards on 10 targets. Uh, Washington's second offensive drive resulted in the Dustin Hopkins' first quarter 50-yard field goal. Four snap of that drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, nine-yard shotgun completion. To J.D. McKissick, fifth snap of the drive, J.D. McKissick, a second and one, five-yard under center handoff run, a Washington sixth offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass to Ricky Seals-Jones, the seventh snap of the drive and the snap right before the first half, two-minute warning. Taylor Heineke, a third and 16, 16-yard 16 shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick on a screen. What a play that was by McKissick. And then on the next snap, J.D. McKissick, first and 10, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, McKissick has been kind of up and down this season in terms of his production. Some games he just hasn't been utilized a lot. Other games he's been utilized quite a bit. He has made some big plays. I mean, you go back to Washington's week two win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday night football. Taylor Heineke, that fourth quarter, first and 10, 56-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick down the right sideline as McKissick scorched the Giants linebacker, Tay Crowder, and we saw J.D. McKissick be awfully productive in this, yes, loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. And then takeaway number five, eventful games for both Dustin Hopkins and Tress Way. So Dustin Hopkins, two of three on his field goal attempts on Sunday afternoon. Now he connected on a first quarter 50-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 7 3. He connected on a second quarter 43 yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 10 6, but he missed the shortest of the three field goal tries. Go figure. That's Dustin Hopkins in a nutshell, is it not? Uh, Hopkins missed a 42 yard field goal attempt in the third quarter with Washington nursing a 13 10 lead as he was wide left. Now look, in this game, you needed to be scoring touchdowns, not having Dustin Hopkins kick field goals. So the whole Dustin Hopkins scenario from this game doesn't loom as large as maybe the scenario otherwise would have. But it is worth noting, Washington was up by three. Hopkins missed that 42-yard field goal attempt in the third quarter, and things fell apart after that. In fact, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference actually referenced the Hopkins missed field goal attempt as a turning point in the game. Take a listen.
2: We didn't handle adversity in the second half the way we needed to. Okay. Um, we missed a kick and we had a chance to bow our neck and we jump offsides. You know, we, we, we can't do those things. You know, this game is, is too finite. Uh, and when you give teams opportunities, especially really good teams, they'll take advantage of it.
1: Yes, they will. Now, look, is Dustin Hopkins in danger of being cut for missing that 42-yard field goal attempt in the third quarter on Sunday? No. I mean, we've danced this dance enough by now with Dustin Hopkins and Ron Rivera to know that, you know, barring Dustin Hopkins like pledging allegiance to the Taliban or something, he's not going anywhere, okay? He's going to remain as Washington's kicker. Ron Rivera, like Jay Gruden, has this extreme loyalty Dustin Hopkins and to be fair I mean Dustin Hopkins on the season has been more good than bad at this point you have to say that he's 12 of 14 on field goals so far this year but we all get it with Dustin Hopkins I've talked about it I've given you the numbers he has been a below league average kicker overall during his time as a Washington kicker going into this season uh, and then there's Tressway on Sunday. So Tressway over four punts averaged 58 yards per punt and 44 net yards per punt. But it was an eventful day for Tress Way. So he had a first quarter 66-yard punt That went out of bounds at the Chiefs' five. Excellent punt by Way, although the ensuing Chiefs' offensive drive was a 10-play, 95-yard drive that resulted in running back Daryl Williams' first-quarter, first-and-goal, two-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. Ensuing extra point gave the Chiefs a 7-0 lead. Way had an early second-quarter 60-yard punt But that got returned for 31 yards by Chiefs receiver Miko Hardman. Ensuing Chiefs offensive drive resulted in kicker Harrison Butker's second quarter 52-yard field goal for a 10-3. Chiefs lead. Way had a third quarter fifty-five yard punt, but that got returned for twenty-five yards by Hardman, and Way on the play committed a penalty, a fifteen-yard low block penalty, and the ensuing Chiefs' offensive drive resulted in running back Darrell Williams' early fourth quarter first and goal, three-yard I formation, handoff touchdown run, ensuing extra point gave the Chiefs a 24-13 lead. So a bunch of good punts by Tress Way, but uh they didn't seem to do much in terms of slowing down. Uh, the Chiefs. We also had a fourth quarter 51-yard punt that was fair caught at the Chiefs four. So there you go, the front five, my five biggest takeaways from the Washington football team falling at two and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Takeaway number one, Washington's passing game was abysmal. Takeaway number two, Washington's defense was bad again. Takeaway number three, health and ball security now even bigger concerns for Antonio Gibson. Takeaway number four, J.D. McKissick was Washington's offensive MVP. And takeaway number five, eventful games for both Dustin Hopkins and Tressway. Still to come, much more on the game, including some more positives for the Washington football team. And I have for you my thoughts on the latest on the Washington football team's royal screw-up of the retiring of Sean Taylor's number 21. All of that is on the way. Washington football team season is in full swing and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows Tick Pick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, Tick Pick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, take on Save Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx on November 14th, or are wanting to travel to watch Washington play at Aaron Rodgers and the Packers on October 24th, or at Derek Carr and the Raiders on December 5th and a trip to Vegas, or you want to hit up the late season division games, tick pick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets, no more of those ridiculous service fees. So here's what you do. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now and use the promo code Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi and use the promo code Galdi TickPick.com slash Galdi and make sure that you use the promo code Galdi.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: The Washington football team is two and four, a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. This is a special Washington football team postgame installment of the Al Galdi podcast, although we'll talk about things beyond the Washington football team. My thoughts on what went down on Saturday for Virginia Tech and Virginia football and the Capitals are coming up, but right now more on Washington's loss to the Chiefs. Here was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on his post-game message to his players.
2: Well, I think the message to the guys more than anything else is, you know, we have to handle adversity. You know, we, we, we got to play two halves of football. We played a good first half. We didn't play a Good enough second half to give ourselves a chance to win. but we've got to be able to handle the mistakes, correct the mistakes and just keep going forward. Um, the truth is, uh, you know, what, this is the weather is a sixth game. We've got a few more left to play, obviously, but we uh, got to shake this one off, learn from it, and then get ready for next week. It's all we can do.
1: Yes, it is. 11 games left in Washington's regular season. The record is two and four. The record at times feels like 0 and six. It has been an aggravating season for us as Washington football team fans so far it obviously has been a super ugly last 7 days in terms of all of the things that have been out there with this franchise Washington will be at the Green Bay Packers this Sunday afternoon at 1 the pack improved a 5 and 1 a 24-14 win at the Chicago Bears on Sunday afternoon so 2 and 4 very easily could become 2 and 5 then Washington is at the Denver Broncos on Halloween weekend Then comes the bye week. So, you know, things could get much worse before things get better, if things ever get better this season. We don't know. Like, is this going to end up being one of these seasons that just comes apart at the seams? Perhaps we're already in the process of the season coming apart at the seams. Or is this going to be another one of these Ron Rivera seasons, like last season was, in which Don Ron does his best work late in the season and his team gets things going come November and December? Well, in the meantime, the phenomenon of Andy Reid being an all-time Washington killer did continue with this Washington loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Andy Reid now 3-0 and as Chiefs head coach against Washington. He as Eagles head coach went 17-11 and against Washington. So Andy Reid now is 20-11 and all-time against Washington. He, of course, has been at the helm of some brutal Washington losses, You think about the Monday night massacre, the 5928 Eagles win at Washington on Monday Night Football in November 2010. The Michael Vick game. You think about the 45-10 Chiefs win at Washington at a snowy FedEx field in December 2013 in the dying days of Mike Shanahan as Washington head coach. We'll see how memorable this game from Sunday ends up being. But, you know, this was the Sean Taylor game, right? The Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle game. And it ends up being a blowout loss, a 31-13 Washington loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field. Oh, by the way, Andy Reid conned Washington not once but twice on trades of veteran quarterbacks. The Donovan McNabb trade, April 2010. The Alex Smith trade, March 2018. As I have been saying, nobody over the last 25 years has been Washington's daddy more than Andy Reid has been Washington's daddy.
0: Who is your daddy and what does he do?
1: Yes, Arnold, thank you. And uh, daddy was back home on Sunday afternoon. Well, I talked to her in the front five about how Washington's passing game wasn't good. Uh, that, of course, included Taylor Heineke. I did, though, want to point out some of the good moments for Heineke and Washington's passing game. So believe it or not, Heineke quarterback to Washington offense that did go 7-14 of 14 on third downs, you may find that surprising. I found that surprising, uh, but that is the truth. The Washington's offense did go seven of fourteen on third downs. Uh, Taylor Heineke's lone touchdown pass was good. Uh, Washington six offensive drive started at the Washington thirty-three, thanks to the Cole Holcomb. Second quarter force fumble that Cameron Kroll recovered on a second and 20 under center handoff end around run by receiver Miko Hardman. Uh, the drive resulted in points. The only Washington offensive drive that followed one of Washington's three second quarter takeaways. That resulted in points. Taylor Heineke, the late second quarter, second and three, 39-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to Ricky Seals-Jones, who was wide open around the 18. So another big play this season for Heineke to Seals-Jones. Ensuing extra point gave Washington a 13-10 lead. Also on that drive, seven snap of the drive and the snap right before the first half, two-minute warning. Taylor Heineke, a third and 16, 16 16-yard shotgun completion to J.D. McKissick on the screen on a terrific catch and run by McKissick. Uh, Some other good plays For Washington's passing game. Washington's fourth offensive drive resulted in the Dustin Hopkins second quarter 43-yard field goal that cut Washington's deficit to 10-6. First snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, seven-yard under center play action boot completion to John Bates, who then drew a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty on linebacker Anthony Hitchens, who himself got banged up on the play and had to leave the game. Uh, Bates is a load, and Bates gave it to Hitchens. Uh, On that play. Second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, first and 10, 12 yard completion to Terry McLaurin. Fourth snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and eight, seven yard shotgun completion to Terry McLaurin. It was an underwhelming game for Terry McLaurin. He had a drop. He was unable to come up with the football on a 50 50 ball. He had a penalty in the game as well, although that was a highly questionable uh, pass interference penalty for which McLaurin was called. But uh, Terry in the game only had four catches. 28 yards on eight targets. Now he was questionable for the game due to a hamstring injury that we first learned of on Friday. So to what extent he was less than 100% we do not know. But this was not the Terry McLaurin that we're used to seeing. Uh, some other plays in Washington's passing game that stood out. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in the Dustin Hopkins third quarter missed 42 yard field goal attempt as it was wide left. Uh, first snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10, 10 yard under center boot completion to JD McKissick. Third snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a second and six, 14 yard under center play action completion to Ricky Seals-Jones. Washington's 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt, fourth snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke, a third and eight, 12-yard shotgun completion to De'Ami Brown. And also on this drive was the seventh snap of the drive. Taylor Heineke with one of the more amazing incompletions that you'll ever see. So on a third and eight at the Washington 45, Heineke took a shotgun snap, evaded being sacked, by a blitzing and unblocked safety in Tyron Matthew. Heineke then got wrapped up by edge rusher Frank Clark, but Heineke rolled on top of Clark, and then Heineke used his left arm to push himself off the turf and back up without being whistled down. And then Heineke somehow evaded being sacked by Clark again and by defensive tackle Jaron Reed before getting off a throw for an incompletion while being taken down by Reed. I mentioned this earlier in the show, Taylor Heineke did not have an official rush attempt in this game, but that's not to say that he didn't use his legs at all. And he certainly used his legs and his arms and everything else on his body uh, on that play. Again, it was an incompletion, but it was one of the more amazing and impressive incompletions that you'll ever see. Heineke is elusive. He is evasive. And I would put his escapability Up there with just about any other quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, is he as fast or dynamic as a runner as, say, Lamar Jackson? No, I'm not saying that. But when it comes to escaping pressure, there aren't many quarterbacks in the NFL better than Taylor Heineke. We've seen that, and we certainly saw that on that play in the fourth quarter. Uh, While we're covering some of the positives, the good from Washington's defense. So yeah, you did get three second quarter takeaways. I mean, I don't want to minimize that. That is a pretty big deal that Washington did that. I mean, the Chiefs have been prone to turning the football over this season. But Washington continued that pension with what Washington's defense did in this game. Washington's first takeaway, Chiefs' second offensive drive, resulted in an interception on the first half of the second quarter. First and goal at the nine, a Patrick Mahomes shotgun sprint-out pass went off the hands of receiver Tyreek Hill and into the arms of Kendall Fuller, who had dropped an interception earlier in the first half. Uh, Tyreek Hill slipped on the FedEx field turf in running his route but the ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in a three-and-out. Washington's second takeaway, Chiefs' fifth offensive drive, started at the Washington 34, thanks to Antonio Gibson's second-quarter loss fumble. The third snap of the drive, Cole Holcomb forcing a fumble that Cameron Curl recovered on a second-and-20 under-center handoff end-around run by receiver Miko Hardman. The ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in the Taylor Heineke touchdown pass Ricky Seals-Jones. Also on that defensive drive for Washington, by the way, was Cole Holcomb drawing a second and 10-10 yard pass interference penalty on tight end Travis Kelsey. So that drive in a lot of ways was the Cole Holcomb drive. He drew the penalty on Kelsey, then forced the fumble That Cameron Kroll recovered. And then Washington's third second quarter takeaway, Chiefs' six offensive drive, the seventh snap of the drive on a third and one for the Chiefs at the Washington 20. Patrick Mahomes bobbled the football off an under center snap, picked up the football, ran to his right, and then foolishly threw up a pass while being hit by Kalik Hudson and Chase Young. The ball was intercepted by Bobby McCain at the Washington 16. He then generated a five-yard return But the ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in the end of the first half as it felt like Washington had like one foot in, one foot out in terms of trying to go for it on that offensive drive. Ran plays. The plays had, you know, modest success. And then that was it. That was the end uh, of the first half. But uh, Mahomes trying to make a hero play there. That's the kind of thing if Taylor Heineke did it, he'd be slaughtered for. When you're Patrick Mahomes, you can try those things. And truth be told, Mahomes will make those things work plenty of times. Did not, though, in that instance, and Bobby McCain came through with the interception. Also, Washington in the game, three sacks and 10 quarterback hits. Chase Young did have a sack in this game. I thought Chase Young played well again for a second consecutive game. Chiefs' seventh offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half. Resulted in a third-quarter 19-yard punt by Chiefs punter Tommy Townsend. Fifth snap of the drive, Chase Young, a first and 16 sack of Patrick Mahomes' For a seven-yard loss, you also have the Chiefs' fourth offensive drive resulted in a second-quarter punt. James Smith-Williams, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat each had a quarterback hit on the drive. Like I said, Washington finished with 10 quarterback hits in this game. Uh, Another sack for Washington was by Cole Holcomb. Chiefs' first offensive drive, 10 plays, 95 yards. Did result in running back Darrell Williams' first quarter, first and goal, two-yard shotgun handoff, touchdown run. Sixth snap of the drive, Cole Holcomb, a third and one sack of Patrick Mahomes, but for zero yards on what was a tackle on a shotgun scramble. Chiefs went for it on fourth down, converted, and then ended up scoring the touchdown on the drive. But obviously not enough good from the Washington defense. Remember, the defense was supposed to lead the way for Washington this season. The defense has gotten in the way much more than the defense has led the way, at least so far this season. Well, if taking care of your lawn is getting in your way of enjoying your weekends, or if you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, call Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration seeding, and a variety of other services. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman take care of your lawn. If you're fed up with who is currently taking care of your lawn, make the switch. Weedman Weed is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. All of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common. As it should be. When you call Weed Man, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest. You're not waiting for 30 minutes to speak to someone. Weed Man actually has real answers that have meaning in your area. If you have a certain area on your lawn that needs attention, Weedman will take care of that area. You're not dealing with a huge faceless corporation. That treats you like a number. Now, a beautiful spring lawn starts now in the fall. And so, Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast a fall tune up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So, here's what you do call 571. 571- 340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, about $100 off the usual price. For those services. That phone number again, 571 340 3400, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right. One more item from the Washington football team falling to two and four with this 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. And that item is the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. So the retirement went through at halftime of the game of Washington, of course, incredibly having not announced that it was retiring Sean's number 21 at this game until last Thursday morning, a mere three days before the game. Official paid attendance for the game ended up being a mere 51,322. Ain't no way that there were 51,322 people at that game. So Washington, at best, got a minimal bump. Uh, Washington, through week five, was dead last in the NFL in both average attendance at home games this season and in percent capacity filled at-home games this season. Washington's average attendance at-home games this season had been 51,002 people per game. The official paid attendance for Sunday against the Chiefs again was 51,322. So again, a minimal bump at best. Uh, Did you see also the photo up that made the rounds on social media? This is unbelievable. So at halftime was when Sean's number 21 was retired. It was prior to the game, though, that the Washington football team formally commemorated the renaming of the road leading to FedEx Field as Sean Taylor Road. So there was a photo taken with Sean Taylor's family, and one of the people in the group was holding up a sign that read Sean Taylor Road while the family was on or near Sean Taylor Road. Well, the photo, incredibly, unbelievably. Inexplicably, was taken in front of a bunch of porta potties. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Yeah, you heard that right. A bunch of porta potties. Sean Taylor's family was photographed in front of a bunch of porta potties. Cuckoo, cuckoo. I'm not kidding when I say this. This photo is all over social media. And it was like one more kick to the gut of everyone who wanted this day to be a special and appropriate day. That this photo op ended up taking place in front of porta potties. Like, could you come up with something worse than that in terms of a photo op? for this situation, and yet that is precisely what happened. I am not making this up. You can find this. You can Google this, okay? This is what happened. Of this entire thing being a mess, a debacle, an embarrassment, maybe a sham, we don't know, this poor family gets this photo op in front of porta-potties. Cuckoo, cuckoo. I mean, like it's so bad, but in some ways, it's so fitting with everything that went down with all of this. Look, I hope that Sean Taylor's family had a great day. Obviously, none of this has anything to do with Sean Taylor himself in terms of this mess, this debacle. None of this has anything to do with Sean Taylor's family, again, in terms of this mess, this debacle. We have learned some more things about the mess, about the debacle uh, over these last few days. So, Washington football team insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post, in a series of tweets on Friday afternoon, said that she was told that plans to retire Sean's number 21 had been finalized two months ago and that the original plan was to announce that Sean's number 21 was being retired last Monday, so October 11th. However, because of the news of last Monday, October 11th, remember the news of that day? was the breaking of the John Gruden, Bruce Allen emails. Uh, The team decided, again, this is per what Javala was told, to delay the announcement. And so the announcement ended up being delayed until Thursday morning. Look, that's what Nikki Javala was told. I'm assuming she was told this by someone with the team. Um, Who knows? Okay, who the heck knows? I know some people swear that Washington decided at like the last moment to retire Sean's number 21. And that is entirely possible. I am not dismissing that as a possibility at all. But like I said on last Friday's show, episode 167, do not ever discount how incompetent the Redskins slash Washington football team can be. I experienced this firsthand at WTEM during the 10 years During which uh, Red Zebra, a company for which Dan Snyder was the primary investor, owned the radio station. I saw incompetence everywhere, okay? Like, I don't dismiss at all the possibility that the Washington football team not announcing that Sean's number 21 would be being retired on Sunday until the previous Thursday morning was a result of simple incompetence as opposed to some, you know, grand plan to try to distract. From all the negative news of the last week, okay? Like I just I don't think you can wipe that off the table. I really and truly do not. What I think we know with certainty is that Washington was planning on doing something for Sean Taylor, okay? whether that something always included the number 21 being retired or not, we don't know, and I don't know that we'll ever know. But remember, former Washington safety current ESPN analyst Ryan Clark. Last Thursday morning tweeted, quote, since people are wondering, Tim Hightower reached out to me on September 22nd to invite me to the alumni weekend. In his text, he told me they'd be honoring Sean and his family, which I assumed was the reason I got the invite since I hadn't been invited before, end quote. So what is clear was that the team was planning to formally at least commemorate the renaming of the road leading to FedEx Field as Sean Taylor Road. That was announced in that press release that the team put out on Thursday morning in announcing that Sean's number 21 was going to be retired. What remains in question, again, is whether the plan was only to do that And then the team added retiring Sean's number 21 at essentially the last second as a cheap publicity ploy or whether the team always planned on retiring Sean's number 21 and just wanted to either make it a surprise or thought that announcing the retiring of Sean's number 21 in the days leading up to the retirement would somehow lead to to maximum impact. Why you would think that, I don't know, but I could see the team thinking that. Again, I could see this kind of distorted, twisted, inaccurate thinking having taken place. Again, don't underestimate the potential for extreme incompetence here. Uh, I still go back to what Washington football team president Jason Wright said in his uh, president's brief column that came out last Thursday night, quote, we thought that saving the news for a game week reveal was the best way to focus the message on Sean and his legacy. We didn't realize that so many of you wanted to make a trip to FedEx field to be present for this moment. A true lack of understanding of what you, the lifeblood of this franchise, needed to mourn our collective loss and celebrate Sean's legacy." And quote again, it's possible Jason Wright is taking a bullet here for Dan Snyder, okay, that is a possibility, however, it's also possible that Jason Wright just screwed this up. I talked about this on last Friday's show. Jason Wright, for all of his intellect and for all of the things he has going for him, isn't from here, so I don't think it's that far-fetched that he doesn't truly get the meaning that Sean Taylor has to this fan base, and I do think it's possible that Jason Wright just botched this. What I think is interesting, though, is this. Whatever you want to say about Dan Snyder, one thing that you can't say is that he has not properly honored Sean Taylor. I mean, the team currently known as the Washington football team can be called out for many things. Not among those things is not having properly honored Sean Taylor, okay? The team, I would argue, has gone above and beyond in honoring Sean Taylor over the years. Dan Snyder was a huge Sean Taylor fan. Remember, Sean Taylor was part of the whole U crew from back in the day, right? The guys who went to the U, went to Miami, right? Sean Taylor and Santana Moss and Clinton Portis and you had Drew Rosenhaus as the agent. Like that was a big thing 15 years ago with this franchise. And so for this thing to have been butchered the way it was butchered with Dan Snyder, obviously still the owner of the team, is pretty remarkable. And that is one of the reasons why people think that this thing was a cheap publicity ploy, because Danny would never have allowed Washington to have screwed this up to the way uh, that it ended up being screwed up without this having been done on purpose for some reason. So I get that. But, you know, if Dan is dealing with other stuff right now and Jason Wright is in charge of all of this stuff and Jason Wright botched this, I could see that as having happened. I don't think that that's an impossibility. And I go back to what I just brought up a few minutes ago, that photo op having taken place in front of a bunch of porta potties. Okay. Now that wasn't done on purpose. Okay. But that was done. Why? Incompetence. One more time. Don't ever underestimate the incompetence with this organization. All right, let's talk college football week seven in terms of what went down on Saturday for Virginia Tech and Virginia. Each team had its homecoming game on Saturday, as yes, homecoming was a popular theme over the weekend, uh, but the two teams had very different results. Virginia Tech fell to three and three, a 28-7 homecoming loss to Pitt at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on Saturday. Very disappointing performance for the Hokies. They trailed in the third quarter 28-0. And while there were some questionable calls slash non-calls that went against the Hokies, they got outclassed in this game. The Hokie scored just seven points, averages 3.73 yards per play, totaled just 13 first downs, went just four or 14 on third downs. And how about this? The Hokies lost the time of possession battle by 16 minutes 47 seconds. And the heat which already was on Hokies head coach, Justin Fuente, now is even more on. Remember the circumstances going into this season. Virginia Tech director of athletics Whit Babcock last December 15th announced that Fuente would be back for a sixth season as Hokies head coach. Just the fact that Babcock had to announce that told you everything that you needed to know about the shaky ground on which Fuente stood. And man, Is Fuente feeling it now? The Virginia Tech football official Twitter account is at HokiesFB. At HokiesFB tweeted out the final score of the game. Quote, Pitt wins 28-7. End quote. A simple mundane tweet among the many responses to the tweet. And I quote, it's tough to imagine how the play calling in today's game, could have been worse. Fuentes' calls were awful, and as a rule, wrong in every situation. The fact that he hasn't been fired yet is mind blowing. He should resign and stop holding his team back! Exclamation uh, mark! Just fire him now. See if anyone else on the staff is worth being a potential replacement before they are all eventually canned. Don't delay the inevitable. You know what you have to do. No point in wasting time. Get. Fuente out. Fire Fuente. Hashtag Fire Fuente. Make a coaching change. This needs to be the game that puts the stamp on the Fuente era. Absolutely embarrassing. Hashtag Fire Fuente, end quote. And on and on, I could keep going. It was one tweet after another, one response after another to the Virginia Tech football official Twitter account saying in some form or fashion, fire Justin Fuente. Yeah, Fuente is reeling right now. Here he was during his postgame press conference, and this is a lengthy cut that I'm about to play for you. It's a little less than two minutes long, but listen to how dejected Fuente is.
3: And I'll just start off by by telling telling you all the same thing I told the football team in the locker room. I mean, it's my responsibility and it's my job to get us to play as good as we can play, whatever that level is. And at times, this season we've hit that level, okay? and um, really at no time today did we hit it. And that's that's um, that's not play calling. That's not defensive scheme. That's not special teams. Um, that's that's not a that's not players. That's the head coach. That's the head football coach's responsibility. And um, and. I let them down and I'm disappointed and mad at myself and I do believe that that, you know the bottom line is we should whatever the the top level of ability for a football team is it's it's your job as coach to try and maximize it and you know as you go through the season like it's not always you get better as the season goes along as you go through the season you get you lose guys or or get guys back or whatever and it kind of ebbs and flows but the bottom line is that's, that's my job is to get us to play to the best that we can play, whatever that is. And we fell short of that in every manner today, and that's, that lies squarely at, at, uh, at my feet. So, um, again, I'm not trying to uh, – again, I, I hope Pat knows that I'm not trying to take away from their effort and what they did. I'm just saying, um, man, I failed our football team. Today, and it bothers me.
1: Man, it's not often that you hear a Power Five conference head coach talk like that. I mean, good for Fuente for pointing the finger of blame at himself. But, you know, the late John Thompson used to have a saying regarding what Fuente just did right there. Coach Thompson would say this during my time working with him at 980. The saying was essentially when a coach starts saying that it's his fault, pretty soon his bosses believe him. Yeah, this is really starting to feel like it could be it for Fuente as Hokies head coach. We'll see. It's so funny, though, because the Virginia Tech football season got off to such a great start, right? That 17-10 win over then number 10 North Carolina in Blacksburg on September 3rd. But things have not gone well for the Hokies since then. What's especially interesting about this 28-7 loss to Pitt on Saturday is that Tech actually did a pretty good job on pick quarterback Kenny Pickett. Uh, Pickett through week six was number one in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR at 90.2, but Tech actually held Pickett to just 203 yards on 37 pass attempts, 5.49 yards per pass attempt. Now, Pickett did have two touchdown passes versus no interceptions, was sacked Just once, and he had a touchdown run. Uh, So it's not like Tech did an awesome job on Pickett and every facet of the game. But by and large, you take that if you're a Hokies fan. Kenny Pickett throwing for just 203 yards on 37 pass attempts. What Tech did not do in this game defensively was stop the run. Uh, Tech allowed Pitt running back Israel Abanakanda to have 21 carries for 140 yards, 6.67 yards per carry. And Hokies quarterback, Braxton Burmeister, had a really bad game. You know, I'm not sure how much longer the Hokies can start Burmeister, although it may well be that there's nobody better on the roster. But facing a Pitt defense that through week six was number 11 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN, Burmeister went just 11 of 32, a completion percentage of just 34.4%, through for just 100. 34 yards. Yards per pass attempt of just 4.19. Had a touchdown pass. Had an interception. He got sacked three times. Uh, Tech's running game wasn't very good. Running backs Raheem Blackshear, Malachi Thomas, and Jalen Holston combined for 18 carries for just 69 yards. 3.83 yards per carry. Things are not great for the Hokies right now. Next up for them, home to Syracuse this Saturday afternoon at twelve thirty. Conversely, things are going quite well for Wahoo Wah right now. Uh, Virginia improved a five and two, a forty-eight nothing homecoming blasting of Duke at a rainy Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on Saturday afternoon. The Cavaliers won their third consecutive game, improved to 3-2 and in the ACC off an 0-2 start in conference play, and recorded their first shutout in an ACC game since a 31-0 win over Maryland in October 2008. That is a ways ago. Uh, now, the Cavs did benefit from some great fumble luck in this game. UVA and Duke combined for eight official fumbles, The Cavs recovered six of those fumbles, but whatever. The Cavs smashed Duke in this game. Uh, The Wahoos' defense, which overall has not been good this season, was really good in this game. Held Duke starting quarterback Gunnar Holmberg to just 134 yards on 34 pass attempts, 3.94 yards per pass attempt, intercepted him twice. And Cavs quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, was great again. Uh, He did not play in the fourth quarter. Armstrong over the first three quarters, 25 of 45 for 364 yards, 8.09 yards per pass attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions, did take three sacks, had eight carries for 34 yards, which remember includes a yardage lost on the three sacks. And a touchdown. Uh, Armstrong had a first quarter, third and 15, 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Dontavian Wicks, who made a really impressive over-the-shoulder catch in the end zone on a great throw by Armstrong. Wicks finished with seven receptions for 125 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Armstrong had a second quarter, third and goal, 70-yard shotgun scramble touchdown run on which he pulled a Taylor Heineke and scored via head first dive at the front left pylon. And Armstrong had a late second quarter, second and goal, 70-yard shotgun touchdown pass to tight end and Oklahoma State graduate transfer Jelani Woods. Brennan Armstrong this season is number one in the FBS in passing yards at 2,824, is number 33 in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 70.1, and he has 19 touchdown passes versus six interceptions. Armstrong is legitimately having one of the best seasons that any Virginia quarterback has ever had head coach Bronco Mendenhall during his post-game press conference on Armstrong.
4: Yeah, early on, uh, and, and I don't want to come off as I told you so, right? I think he's the best quarterback in the ACC, um, and I wouldn't trade him for anyone. And I don't know what else he has to do <laughs> for, like, there to be a campaign or something, and he wouldn't want that, nor do I, but he's really good.
1: Yes, he is. Next up for Virginia, home to Georgia Tech this Saturday night at 7.30. We had a big game for the Capitals at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. A matchup with the two-time reigning, defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, The Caps lost, but in overtime. So they got a point. Fell to 1-0-1 with a 2-1 overtime loss to the Lightning. Caps lost on a goal by Steven Stamkos with just 14.2 seconds left in overtime. Uh, This was a good hockey game, although this was a frustrating hockey game From a Caps perspective, Caps went 0-4 for on the power play, failed to capitalize on the Lightning committing four minors to the Caps' one. Caps totaled just one shot on goal on each of their first two power plays. But the most notable aspect of this game to me, if you're a Caps fan, is that the Caps started Vitek Vanacek and not Ilya Samsonov at goaltender for a second time in as many games this season. This really has become undeniable. The Camps are sending a message to Samsonov to shape up. Uh, He has been inconsistent both on and off the ice. Vanacek does have the lower ceiling, but he has been a far more reliable player and person and so Vanacek has been the cap-starting goaltender in each of their first two games, including this big game against the Lightning. I mean, that's quite the message. Big game against Tampa Bay, albeit in the second game of the regular season. And Vanacek and not Samsonov gets the nod of Vanacek and not Samsonov getting the nod in the regular season opener. And Vanacek was good for a second consecutive game. He stopped 22 of the 24 shots on goal that he faced. But there was more to his performance than just that. The caps in this game got bludgeoned. By the Lightning in terms of high danger shot attempts, the Caps per natural stat trick had one even strength high danger shot attempt to the Lightning's 15. Yes, the Lightning had 15 even strength high danger shot attempts to the Caps one in this game per natural stat trick. Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped all eight of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped four of the five medium-danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped nine of the ten low-danger shots on goal that he faced. But for comparison's sake, the Lightning's goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky, per natural stat trick, faced just two high-danger shots on goal the entire game. He stopped both of them. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Vanacek
4: he's certainly done his job you know he gives us a chance to win and he's made some big saves um, you know I thought it was a little bit quiet for him in the first period but then in the second period he had to make some saves uh, you know, it's, We played a good team tonight you know and so they got a lot of firepower and so that with that you know you're gonna have to throw in a good game I thought he did
1: Yes, he did. Love what we've seen from Vanacek so far. Vanacek in the cap season opening 5-1 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena last Wednesday night, stopped 23 of the 24 shots on goal that he faced. Now, also in that game was Alex Ovechkin having two goals and two assists, this despite him having been a game-time decision due to a lower body injury that was suffered in the Caps' preseason ending 5-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena on October 8th. Well, Ovi was back at it on Saturday night. He scored an even-strength goal 18-51 into the second period, had a game-high eight shots on goal, and had a game-high 14 total shots. Ovechkin has looked great so far this season. LaViolette during his post-game press conference on Ovechkin.
4: Really good. Um, you know he's certainly moving better, and um, you know you, you can tell that he's had a good training, good summer, good training camp, and everything was just a little bit off um, last year. Still had a good year last year, but you can see the jump in him this year, and he just looks looks like he's moving better. And um, when you're moving better, you're getting the spaces, and you're finding finding plays. You know goals last game that he scored where he's beating people to the inside and getting inside position and um, getting a shot off. So he looks good. You got to give some credit to his line mates too. Kuzi's been outstanding, and Tom is Tom's Tom. He's, a, he's the bull on the line. He does a real good job.
1: Yeah, Ovechkin scored his goal on Saturday night of having just come off the bench. This was something else. So Ovechkin came off the bench, got to a loose puck near the left point, skated the puck into the high slot, and then unleashed a snapshot that beat lightning goaltender Andrei Vasilevsky for a 1-0 Caps lead. Next up for the Caps, home to the Colorado Avalanche. Tuesday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show episode 169 will feature much more fallout from the Washington football team falling to two and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. We'll have Ron Rivera's day-after-the-game press conference to unpack. Now remember, uh, Don Ron was quite testy the previous Monday. How might he be on this Monday? We'll see. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
3: Man, I failed our football team today, and it bothers me.